Before we get into the interview today, guys, I want to tell you about videoblocks.com because they're helping us keep the lights on at AOTG.com and specifically for this podcast, The Cutting Room. So they called me a couple of weeks ago and asked if they could actually sponsor the podcast, which was exciting to me because I've actually used their product. So I was just finishing off a Western back in the summer and they shot at 4K. They had a huge issue on set and so they were rushed in many situations and they ended up not getting a night shot of the sky over top of the cabin and so we were stuck with this moment where the character needed to fall asleep and we need to cut out to the outside so we could see that it was nighttime and we didn't have the shot so we ended up going to video blocks downloading a night sky and then I, using After Effects, got it in so it looked like it was above the cabin. And with a bit of color correction tricks, we all of a sudden had a night sky over our cabin. So Video Blocks actually saved our butts. And that's why I was excited that they're sponsoring us, as well as giving you, our listeners, a bundle. They call it the Triple Bundle. You can get video, audio, and images all for one price of $149. All the video and images you want, just $149. Download all the stock media your heart desires, including 150,000 videos, 100,000 audio clips, and 400,000 images. All of it is royalty free, so you can use it for commercials, your personal work, your YouTube video, whatever. New content is added regularly, so there's always something fresh to download. So here's what I need you to do. If you've ever needed stock footage, or need stock footage for anything you're doing, or or if you want, just check out what they're doing because they're helping us. So let's check it out. Go to videoblocks.com AOTG to get all the stock video, audio, and images you can imagine for just $149. That's videoblocks, V-I-D-E-O-B-L-O-C-K-S.com slash AOTG to save on millions of studio quality clips, tracks, and graphics. Now on with the show. What? In addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this week I'm interviewing William Hoy. And we're going to be talking about War of the Planet of the Apes. If you haven't seen that film, go check it out. It is a tense film, and... The visual effects, the editing, the sound, all of it is phenomenal. Just a really well done project. And of course, before we get into this podcast, if you happen to skip through my advertisement before, make sure to check out videoblocks.com AOTG to get a deal at Videoblocks. And of course, thanks to Videoblocks for supporting us. But with all that said, here's my interview with William Hoy. I guess to start off, uh, how did you get involved with, with this film? Uh, I actually worked on Don, the last one, also. And, uh, you know, I actually met Matt Reeves, the director. It was uh, just a cold interview. I mean, uh, I had worked with one of the producers before, Dylan Clark, and uh, I've done a few movies there. So I think a lot of times when I or any other editor get a job, it's just a confluence of uh, knowing people and the director liking what you have to say about the script and his story and his idea and, and uh, how I as an editor can help him realize that vision. So, yeah, it was it's basically um, off the street, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, I, and now two pictures later, I, I really value my friendship with Matt and I think we've gone even, you know, so much closer on, on uh, war because we spent 
Well, I was on the picture for 21 months, and oh, I know wow. he was on that for even even longer, you know, writing it and all that. So that's that's a long time to spend with someone, and, and he likes to sit right there in the room with me. So we spend a lot of time talking about sometimes other things other than the film. <laughs> <laughs> So that's always good. Well, I noticed in like when I was researching for this that you had actually mentioned the importance of building a relationship, but more importantly, when you worked with Matt, you talked about building confidence with him so that he had confidence in your work. I'm wondering how you go about doing that with new directors. Like how do you work with them so that they can trust you with the footage and that they can get get comfortable with things? Well, I think um take Matt for instance. I mean, uh, he had never worked with me before and he had a very specific way he he'd like to work and uh things that he had visualized that he wanted to see basically in, in the first time that i showed him any any scene but sometimes when i'm working on a scene i i'm on location i don't have a lot of direct contact with the director day to day because uh his schedule is crazy and i'm in the cutting room so you know i put together scenes and he would certainly want it his way and uh you know we would talk about, listen, uh, I'll do it whichever way you want, ultimately, but I would like you to look at it from, you know, from my perspective, it's a totally objective point of view, per se. So in presenting my cut to him, then he then felt like, oh, you know what, I can, I can see the the picture being realized here and, and where we can go from here to really push the picture to where I want it to, in, in the sense that he was very optimistic when when he saw the first cut of the picture, the editor's cut, per se. But it was more even through the process of uh, once we started working together that there were some quite difficult scenes in Don because he didn't have a lot of time from the moment he took the picture over. There was another director on that, and he left because of uh, differences. So Matt came on, but his idea for the story was much different than what the script was originally laid out. So he actually had to go in there, rewrite it and begin to shoot it. So in a picture that needs a lot of prep, some scenes weren't fully prepped and realized. So once we got in there, we realized that there were some things that we had to fix in editorial. And I think that's when we really bonded was that, uh, you know, there's, there was a battle scene in, in Dawn. It's when the rebel ape Cobra leads the ape army against the humans and the scene really didn't have a point of view in the sense that you don't want the humans to die and neither do you want the apes to die so what exactly are we watching and it was working as just action but kind of in the middle of the picture but you know so the idea came up between us that it should come from caesar's son's point of view you know he's very idealistic and he's being led into this and so we see the battle through his eyes and he wanted vengeance for his father's death, but he realized how horrible war actually is. So, you know, we, we put that scene together with all the elements that we had and, and reshot some motion capture. And from that, we got a scene that works very well for what we wanted. And I think, you know, it was moments like that on the first one that uh, he, he began to trust me and it, it really helped putting the second one together because now I could put scenes together and actually take performances because they're motion capture characters that you can take a performance from one take and put that performance in another uh, setup of a camera. They may not be looking the right way, but what is continuous is the performance. So we were out after performance. So I can quickly go to the performance, put it together that way because of what we knew from the 
working together on the last picture, and he could actually look at it and go, that's the performance I remember, and yes, that's playing well through there, so that he's not saying, why isn't that character looking the right way? So he understood that. So there was that part of it, that technical aspect of it too. So uh, that and the trust of helping him realize, you know, certain scenes and helping when it wasn't actually evident in the shooting, those are the things how you can build trust. And ultimately, once the picture is done, you go, you know what, that was really good. And I'm happy with the picture. So then our relationship continues to build at that point. Now, because you mentioned in Dawn that you guys had to sort of fix some of the things because of the, the time that Mac came on a bit was a bit late. Now, in War, if I'm not mistaken, there was, I think it was three weeks were set aside afterwards for more motion capture. Yes. Did that come out of the experience on Dawn realizing that you could restructure more if you had a bit more time with the motion capture? Well, War was slightly different in that uh, there were scenes that we knew it would be better served if we shot it later. So the motion capture, we always set that aside so that there were some shots because of the surrounding scenes, like some of the battle at the very end there. We had an idea of how it should play, but because some of it was a virtual set too, we didn't know exactly say how the apes would be uh, sitting in a certain scene yeah. or where they would be looking if they were hanging on trees after the avalanche or, or say things like that. So there were, there were certain things that we would just reserve until the end. And if there was anything that, that we needed to help with transitional scenes and shots, or if things were unclear that we had these three weeks to help us there. And that, in most pictures, it's a secret, but <laughs> it's not that great of a secret. But a lot of times they go into reshoots and uh, they do pickups because there are those moments. But uh, in war, they actually reserve three weeks to shoot. Okay, we're, we'll, we'll pick these shots up later. And here's an example is uh, when Caesar is brought in to meet the colonel and he's in the colonel's quarters and he's saying, you know, give my aides food and water. That scene Andy Serkis was playing Caesar as if he had been on a cross for three days. In the original shoot, we had him on the cross a lot longer. So that was in the movie, but it, it really it felt oppressive to see him on the cross that long. So we condensed that. So his performance wasn't so much he was tired. He was actually going in there and he was feeling out the colonel and trying to find you know, an upper hand. And so it became different for that character at that moment because of all the scenes that we lost. So we went in there and picked up his performance. Uh, Woody Harrelson was great. So his performance wasn't changed. It was only how we perceived what Caesar was doing. He was scrutinizing the colonel like, and he's met with different surprises of what the colonel has to say. So that, in fact, did change. So those things, we, we have an opportunity to fix and kind of fine tune. Well, you also talked earlier about the, the importance of the emotions. So like, yes, it's a battle scene, but there needs to be emotion behind it to sort of guide us as an audience. So what is it that you look for in the rushes in terms of emotions? I guess it's a very hard question because when I look at rushes, there's just something that I see that I'm like, that seems real to yeah. me or that seems more authentic. But what is it like? How do you assess them? Well, I mean, you know, I, I guess there's two things. And one thing you just touched on was uh, when I'm looking at dailies and something comes in and you just know that moment defines the scene. And so you actually, you can cut the scene around that. You know, it's like uh, you're building a scene inside out. 
you don't start in the beginning and go to the end. You go, I need to get to this moment, and whatever happens to get to that moment, you know, things have to build to that moment. So if it's a battle scene, the other element is you want to build this the character or whoever is involved in this battle scene so that when you go into the battle scene, you, you have some emotional attachment to what's going on so it doesn't become just chaos and, and fast cutting and loud music and sound effects. You're, you're seeing it or at least experiencing it through somebody's point of view, or if not, at least you see that it's impacting our character. So I think it's important to say that even if you cut action movies and there's action in a particular scene, that you have some kind of emotional attachment to it through the characters. And, and so take, for instance, the uh, very beginning scene. We don't actually know who the humans are, except that the title is War for the Planet of the Apes, and I'm pretty sure the apes are the good guys. <laughs> yeah. But the fact is that we're introduced to this gorilla, and you wonder, what's he all about? Oh, my God, he's he's with the humans, and he's a bad guy. And so part of that is seen through his eyes. When he looks up and he sees his fellow apes being massacred, what does he feel? And, and his look is rather ambiguous you're not sure if he's going kill them all or he's going oh boy look they're killing my fellow apes so that's his point of view and you're kind of drawn into that character in the middle of this battle so when the battle scene reaches this crescendo we're into a very subjective point of view the sound goes more subjective and the music kind of thins out and you're inside his head. So when I watch great battle scenes in movies, that's what I'm drawn to that. What's it like for the characters? You know, there's these moments and that's what makes a battle scene memorable for me. Well, and does that, cause I mean, when you have something like the big gorilla f from the start, that's going to be a guy in a gray suit with dots all <laughs> yeah. over his face. So how much of the emotion do you see in that stage and how much is added by the, the Weta team and, and do you have to make changes afterwards to adjust for your emotional shifts? No, I actually, uh, the one thing is you'd be surprised if you actually saw the picture in its very uh, early form, which is all of our characters in a motion capture suit and you watch the picture and you're totally emotionally immersed in the film because uh, when people watch the movie and know nothing about it and it is actually in that form they don't go i didn't feel anything because they actually are, are very drawn into so that is the actor's performance and we actually edit the actor's performance and that's what i find so rare in a visual effects picture of this budget that there's so much spent on visual effects that for me as an editor to be able to work almost strictly about performance and everything is about performance. So getting back to the gorilla, I can see the performance and that's the performance we chose. And if you see it side by side, the human performer and the final shot, you absolutely see the resemblance to the actor, but the performance is almost mirror-like to the human. So, And that speaks for Andy Serkis. He's such an amazing actor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope he gets some credit on this one because he's been doing such wonderful work on so many different movies as a motion capture character. And uh, I, I think it's just people don't understand. I, I think a lot of people think that the visual effects company, Weta, does it all. They're amazing. But their genius is that they're able to change a human face into a simian face and to take all that and make it emotional and retain all that emotion. So it's a combination of both, but 
It's not to take away from the actors who are amazing. I'm cutting performances, which was uh, very gratifying, you know, with this huge, expensive visual effects backdrop. And I feel like with Andy Serkis, everyone just assumes that, like, he just shows up and he stands where he's supposed to be. But anything I've seen with him outside of that, it's like actually acting. (laughs) (laughs) He seems to be overlooked uh, when the Oscars come around every year. I I feel that's particularly true because, you know, when, when he's in pain, He's really in pain. <laughs> he, he puts himself through a lot of things. And, you know, there, certainly there were, were scenes that we manipulated in the sense of uh, cutting different performances together and, and things like that. But there, there is one scene that is purely Andy Serkis and Woody Harrelson. And that's when he comes and he faces the colonel down. He realizes the colonel has this virus. That scene is almost unmanipulated. If you saw that scene side by side, you would just look at it and go, oh, my God, that's him with a tear, with everything. And it's, you know, we, we saw those daily. Like, oh, my God, he's about to explode. He's, he's so pent up with rage and he doesn't know what to do. Any circuit, breathe. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it is one of those things. He's amazing. And I hope he gets credit somewhere this time around because he's played so many of these roles. Yeah. I mean, even Gollum, oh my Lord, yeah. that was amazing. The amount of times I've watched something and been like, how come people aren't recognizing this the way they should be? You know? Yeah, I, I, I think there's probably this idea that the visual effects company does a lot of it, but that's not a side that they do for our picture in particular because uh, Matt, the director was, you know, he was very adamant about maintaining the actor's performance to the point where it goes, you know, he has this little eye movement and I don't see it in Caesar there. And, or there is that light that hits him right there that just makes me feel that. And I don't see that. We need to uh, match that. Look at Andy's performance. There's something about the performance. We have to match that. So Matt was very, you know, he, that's what he wanted out of Weta. And he pushed them to get exactly what he wanted. And I think that, that really comes through for the most part now i have this might sound like a weird question but the girl who played nova yes what was her footage like because her performance was phenomenal <laughs> for like for such a young child she's i have to say she's just unnatural i mean her performances were what matt told me was when she came in for the interview her audition was that there were you know, kids would come in and they would read something and and Matt decided, well, you know, actually, I just want the kid actors to come in and uh, react. And they had an acting coach there and they would act out certain scenes and they would just have the kids react. And and so she was very natural, instinctive in just reacting to what was going on in the scene. And, And so that's what she did throughout the movie. And She's pretty amazing, and, and I, I hope she goes on and has a, a, a long, great career. She actually, it feels like she really bonded with Karen, who played the orangutan. There were certain shots that would come in, you know, the finals of a, of a visual effect would come in, and I would just watch it, and it would just, you know, it, it bring tears to my eyes because I look at the performance between the two, and, and now it's an orangutan, and this little girl is looking the orangutan in the eye, and she's got this sadness, and they go, what is this? This is crazy. This is so amazing. So, you know, she just kind of got it, and uh, those kid performances are sometimes are very difficult to get. You know, I've worked on some pictures with different kid actors and some kids get it and some kids don't, but you know, it was in her eyes. She just, whatever was going on in her head, she got it. 
and it, it was on camera it was just there so she was amazing one of the questions i sort of ask this of everyone who's working on vfx and that is when i'm cutting a documentary or a commercial or something i can see the pacing sort of developing and what have you but in something that's visually if you know, might not be there. Like you have a VFX shot that might be an empty plate or it might just be a temporary shot. How do you build your pacing uh, to get things right? Because VFX shots are really expensive. So you can't just ask for a bunch of different shots to be done. That's right. So how do you build your, your pacing? Well, let's say it's, if it's an action piece and I'm thinking that, you know, the apes are going to ride from left to right. And how long is that going to take? Let's say if the plate doesn't exist, if the plate's there, then I, I'll use the plate and imagine how how long that's going to be and where we actually see them come in and where they actually go out. But I can also manipulate the plate, too, and make it faster. So if it was within the piece of action, then I'm looking at where this fits in, how fast the characters are moving, and just basically estimate how long that would take. And I know that it wouldn't take very long, or I don't want to be on that shot very long. But if it's a transitional scene, we then lay it out and let it play out for a longer period of time. And then once we begin to get some kind of uh, a comp to fill it in, then that will further determine how long the shot's going to be. We go through different processes on a picture like this, and one of them is uh, when we start, they do previs and the kind of gives us an idea of what the set looks like and how long that's going to be. I may cut some of that out and comp that into a plate to give us a better idea. Or if there's nothing existing, then I'll go in there and we have then a post-fizz. So then these are, you know, artists, uh, digital artists that go in there and give us very rudimentary figures and show us, you know, is it going left to right? Is it is it just left a camera or where do they come in and they come in high, low. So we kind of fill those ideas in and then begin to have a better idea of how long this shot's going to be or how it actually plays or sometimes even if it's going to work or if it's, if it's too much or too little that we need something else to explain it. But when I first put it together, a lot of times there'll be a plate or there'll be a banner. <laughs> and I think it's going to be this long <laughs> because it's just sometimes it's from past experience. I mean, if you just think, well, this is an action piece and it's only going to be, but it's going to be this long. I just want to see it this quickly. Something's going to jump out. It's going to be eight frames. Or if something is going to go left to right, how long is it? If it's a jet plane, that's different. Is the camera going to move with it? Or is it just static camera and things just going to zip by the frame? So all those elements then inform you on how long a shot's going to be. You know, what, one of the great pleasures is to be able to collaborate and to fill in these frames. So having an idea of what you want in it and talking to the visual effects people with the director and realizing what this visual is going to be ultimately, then we start with just talking about it, putting plates in, and then as it progresses to post this and turning it over to Weta and seeing shots come back, we may say, you know what, we need a little longer, we need a little shorter. So before we go all the way to committing ourselves to a rendered shot, there are still ways to save money on the visual effects shot. Say before you're totally committed to $20,000 on it, you're only in for a certain amount when you're putting like 
grayscale figures in there instead of, hey, I'm going to put a nape in there. Oh my God, it's too short. <laughs> well, earlier this week, I was talking to Craig McKay and he said something that I thought was very interesting when it comes to young editors. And he was saying that one of the things he's noticed is that uh, younger editors have trouble, I guess, looking at the film or separating themselves from the film and being able to say, does it work? Is it good? And sort of assessing their footage. How do you step back from your cutting process, especially when you're you know, on it for 21 months and look at the footage and say, does that cut work or is it good? Like, how do you separate yourself so that you remain fresh? Yeah, I, I think it's, it, it has to be time away from it. I mean, when I put a scene together, say I'm on location and I, I get a scene and I'll, I'll put it together and I'll just put it away for a while and then come back to it later while I'm working on something else. So then when I look at it, I can see it more objectively because a lot of times when you're working on the minutia, you forget about the whole of the scene. And I think then that's true for the whole of the picture too. So now when it becomes one piece, I'm working on certain scenes, getting certain scenes right, you know, but then you look at the picture as a whole and now you can see if the character is working, you can see if the story arc is working. So it is important to step back a while. I mean, there were times, quite frankly, on this picture, I lost all objectivity. And one instance was uh, we were screening for the studio and I had worked very late that night. And so and I had to make sure the picture was ready to go with make sure that there were no technical glitches because everybody had spent so much time and effort into making this picture and we reserved time for the studio to see it. So you don't want to blow it by a bad screening. So go in and it's an early morning screening and I'm watching this thing. <laughs> and so after the screening, the director, Matt says to me, so what do you think? Oh, do you think uh, did, did it work? I go, you know, man, I have to be honest with you. I didn't get anything out of this screening. He goes, you're right. I didn't get anything either. So we have to watch this again ourselves. <laughs> so we took it actually you know, the next day with a little separation. We took it to the big theater. We watched it in the theater uh, the Blakely, where we normally screen it, which is like 50 or 100 seats, I can't remember. But we took it to the big Zanuck Theater. So it was just uh, Matt and I and the other editor, and we're, we sat there, and I knew that technically everything was okay. And actually just sitting in a different theater gives you another point of view. And so I became an audience because I didn't have any controls. I just sat there and watched the picture unfold. And then I understood, is it working? Is it not? Because all the technical and just looking at the different cuts, I just saw the picture as a whole. So sometimes it's a matter of just moving your chair, sitting somewhere else. So if you have that luxury, definitely just watch in a different situation or watch with an audience because, you know, you thought something was moving very well and you watch with an audience, you go, oh my God, this is so slow. I just feel this this vibe in the room that it's not working here. You just feel it, I mean, without them even commenting. So, you know, I think all of those things help you keep your objectivity on a picture, especially when we're working on it for such a long time. Now, I, I don't know if you'll be able to answer this question because I'm pulling it out of context, but I read in an interview that you did that you're always looking for the emotional value of a shot. And I was wondering if you could sort of elaborate on that. Well, I think when I place a shot into a scene, I mean, how does it connect with all the rest of the shots around it? I mean, in composition, in performance. So when I see things in daily, like we were talking about earlier, if there's a moment 
that really speaks to me. And that's the essence of that scene. If I start there, then I can also look at other shots around it. How do these other characters impact this moment? Or I could be wrong. Once I get all these other shots in, it goes, well, it wasn't that, it was this. But each shot has to say something because otherwise it's really shoe leather and you can probably lose it because if you say, I'm just going to put that in there because I don't have anything else and I'll just play the other line off stage. Well, that's not going to work because that line played off stage has no impact. And I think that's one of the things about editing is that you have to find a way to do things and have that emotional impact. And sometimes it's, it's a very difficult process because mm-hmm. even on the visual effects picture, we only have so much resources. You know, you wish you could will something <laughs> could materialize that could fill in the spot, but sometimes you end up putting things together and, and helping that moment. And I'm always surprised that at what can come out of it is that uh, I've used this shot because it has this emotional value. And I want her to say this on stage because I need to see this because she has such emotion in that shot. So that plays into the scene as a, as a whole. So I think every shot should have some impact, even if it's a landscape shot. I mean, it shows our heroes in what have they gotten themselves into now? Oh my God, they're in the middle of a blizzard. So everything has to have some emotional say or what's, what's it doing there. Mm-hmm. Now, I have one last question that I like to ask all the editors I interview, and that's, um, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? <laughs> guilty pleasure film. Mm. Only because it's on the top of my head at the moment, because I talk a bit about this at work, and uh, I, I say The Graduate, okay. because uh, forget about how amazingly it was edited, but... I'm not sure there's been a film recently that kind of defines the time. I know, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, if you have if you have a movie to offer up, I'm I'm willing to watch that movie. But I, it just kind of defined that moment in time, you know, with Dustin Hoffman's character, and so it's it's fun, it's romantic, but it just said something about that time. So, you know, I can I can watch that movie again and again, but. Also, The Godfather is something that yeah. I love. I mean, it's just those are just some of the more amazing ones. And uh, and and now with Blade Runner coming out, I love the original Blade Runner. So I can't wait to see this this one because I think highly of uh, the director, a fellow Canadian, by the way. Oh, I'm very excited. <laughs> My wife and I watched Sicario, and then we spent the weekend watching all his previous films, and we were just like wrecked by the end of the weekend. We're like, <laughs> That's right, right. I mean, the Sicario is so intense. It was just done so well. I must say, I wasn't crazy about Prisoners, but uh, Sicario and um, I, I would say Blade Runner is way up there because uh, I, I continue to get different things out of it. And, and so it, with the new one coming out, I, I will be there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to thank you so much for allowing me to interview uh, and giving me this time. Well, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. And I'll, I'll be uh, following your your webpage there. It, oh, looks, thank uh, you. it looks interesting and um, yeah, it's a good resource for editors and uh, it's a great pleasure to be an editor and things change so quickly and so does editing and, and to be able to continue to work and continue to innovate is a real pleasure too. 
So that was my interview with William. I'd like to thank William for sitting down and letting me interview him. Of course, I'd also like to thank Carly McKeating, our editor for this episode. If you need to get in touch with us, you can do it through Twitter at AOTG Network. And of course, through email, info at AOTG Network. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.